Well, this morning we're starting something uh, only going to go for a few weeks, but it's, I suppose it's an appropriate thing as we look at finishing year and starting a brand year, our brand new year. And the theme of the next few weeks is who's the boss? And there was a TV show, I think it was back in the 80s. It was, I'm aware of it, but I don't remember too much of it. So some of you who are either, maybe I just wasn't interested at the time, or maybe some of you are older than me, that's all I'm saying. So, um, but it was basically a show where um, uh, a single dad um, had, was a retired or injured baseball player and he uh, took up a job with a wealthy um, single mother whose um, um, mum was living with her. And so basically this, this dad sort of went in and he took on this housekeeping role, which is sort of... He's a, it was meant to be as a sporting star and all of a sudden he's cleaning houses. But the concept of the show is like, who's the boss? Who's in charge in this home? Because you had the, the lady who was, who was the, the mother, who she was the employer, so technically she was the boss. He had his teenage daughter that basically wanted what she wanted, so she thought she was the boss. Um, he also then had the mother-in-law that was kind of very manipulative of, of different things, so she probably thought she was the boss. And then he was left in a situation saying, well, hey, I'm, I'm the man, I'm, I'm the sporting star, I want to be the boss as well. So there's this question asked of this show, who's the boss? Who's the one that is really in charge? And so basically that's the question I want to ask us over the next few weeks is who's in charge? Who's in charge and what does that mean when we get the wrong person in charge in our life? And so what I'm going to use to have a look at this over the next um, three weeks is have a, a brief look at some of the kings, uh, three kings um, through um, that were kings in, in Israel and Judah. And because and, when you are king, you are large and in charge, aren't you? Like I'm the boss when you are the king. If you are getting everything questioned when you're the king... You're going to get in trouble a little bit, like because you're not going to be king for too long. And and the thing is, even though some of us wouldn't like to say this, but I think some of us like, you know what? I'm I'm the king. I'm the king. I'm in control in my life. I'm the one who is um, wanting to make all the decisions. I'm the one who wants to be in charge. I'm, I want I want to be able to do what I want to do. And so we, some of you go, well, you know what? I want to be a little bit more in charge in my workplace but I'm not, so I've kind of got to... So when I go home, I'm going to be the king of the house. Some of you go, well, yeah, the king, the king sort of is the head of the house and, and the queen is the neck. And I will turn the king exactly the way I want the king to go. For some of us, like, some of you might go, well, in our house, we have little people ranging from the age of two right up to 16 who they think they're the kings and queens of our house. They think they're the ones who want to be in charge. And for those people who are in that age bracket, you're going, you know what? I want to be, I want to be able to make decisions that will impact my life. I don't understand why I've got to do all the things that mum and dad want me to do. And so we have this constant tension in our life about who is in charge. And sometimes we actually fail to ask the, even the right question as adults, who will be in charge over my life? So we're going to have a look at, at some of the kings. So before we jump into the story of Zedekiah, I want to give you just a quick, brief rundown of the history of the kings of Israel. So when, when, when Israel first began as a nation, they basically got to the point where they were a theocracy. So that's a big, 
name to basically mean that God is in charge. They had judges, they had other people that um, led at different times, but they had no one person who ruled over the people of Israel. It was God that was in charge. And God had given them the law to follow, and that was their way to sort of follow along with what God happened. However, and so when we look at, when we find out about the history of the kings, what we find out is that we start looking at the books of First and Second Samuel, books of First and Second Kings, and then we actually we get our, our lens flipped a little bit, and we jump into the books of First and Second Chronicles. And First and Second Chronicles talks about the kings of Israel and that history from a different lens. So you can actually read similar stories, but they might sound a little bit different because they're, they're from a different perspective. And then on top of that the prophets that seem to be saying similar things over and over again, the prophets, or most of the prophets, existed during the time of the kings. So today we'll briefly talk about Jeremiah, who was during the time of Zedekiah and some of the other kings. You had, you had Isaiah that was during the time of the kings. And so some of these, uh, even Ezekiel, was actually in um, exile when Jerusalem fell. So, so he was a contemporary of these. And so the prophets also were a part of this history. So we actually have a really good way of looking at the kings of Israel. So if you love history, like it's, I, I love reading through this because you find some really unique things in this time. So, but in our, in our Bibles, basically, we see this, this transition from a theocracy as the start of the book of Samuel and before to a monarchy. Now, who knows who the first king of Israel was? Saul? Yep, Saul. So basically, this is what the people did. God was looking after them. God was protecting them. God was providing for them. And they weren't content. They looked around and went, we want to be like all the other nations. And the other nations seem to be really good because they've got a king. And we want a king. We want someone that will be, who will rule over us. And God, through Samuel, said, you don't want that. Because when you have a king, all of a sudden, your king will take your money to pay for taxes. The king will take your money to pay for buildings and, and other things. The king will take your sons to be in his army. The king will rule over you. And the foolishness of the people said, but we want to be like other nations. We want to be like them. And so God allowed Israel to go down this pathway. It was not what he wanted for them. He allowed them to go down this pathway. And so basically they looked around and said, if we were to pick the ideal Disney king, the guy that was this tall, muscles out here everywhere, when he's muscles on his muscles, and they found that king, and they found Saul, they went, oh, this is the king. He will be the right one for us. However, he was not a man of great character. And so even though Saul had some mighty victories and was able to establish Israel, he eventually got to the point where he was leading Israel astray. And so God said, well, your kingdom line will not continue, which was normally the way things happened. So it was basically your son would become king and their son, as long as you had enough strength to keep it. And we see that uh, later on through the, the history of Israel. So after Saul, we see probably the most famous king, which was David. David actually was first made king of Judah and then king over all of Israel, and he reigned for 40 years. He had a very long and extensive reign. He was um, called a man after God's heart, own heart. But even David basically got to the point, because he was king, he wanted what he wanted. He wanted things for himself. And we see his um, major failings. Like um, One of his was his relationships. He had like 
triple figures wives, triple figures concubines, and even still, I'm going to take that man's wife. And we see that incident with Uriah and how he killed him, basically because he had an affair with his wife. We see that David, even though he was a man after God's own heart, he acted like a king and took what he wanted. Then we see Solomon, the wisest of kings, again, did great things throughout the country, but again, worked the people extremely hard to achieve what the credit what he did. And so, um, and again, followed along with David and some of his character flaws and, and which led him astray a little bit. And at the end of his life, his son Rehoboam, who we'll talk about in a few weeks, he became king. And Rehoboam had this choice right at the start, and we won't go into this too much, but because of his choice, the people split. And we actually see at this point in time, the ten northern tribes got called Israel, and the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin got called Judah. So Benjamin kind of just like disappeared. He, got, he was a little brother and a little cousin, just disappeared into the mix. And so the, the, Israel, the Israelite nation was split. And so for the next 300 years, you actually see kings come and go throughout Israel and Judah. And today we're actually talking about um, Zedekiah and who was actually the last king of Judah. At that point in time, the Israel nation had disappeared and the kings had, had finished. Um, and so, but the thing is, for most of the time, what we actually see this phrase when associated with the kings, and it's not a good phrase. It says, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And sometimes it was more so than their father had done beforehand, or more so than all the kings beforehand. Now, if you're the last king and you have that said about you, it's sort of like it's not something you want to brag about. Did evil in the sight of the Lord and was worse than all the kings before him. Now, there were some good kings and there were some average kings along the way. You read through and there's some different phrases you pick up. You'll see, you'll see kings who will go, oh, they, did what, um, they, they followed in the footsteps of their father David. And actually, but they, then you'll see one, but they did not remove the sacred places that people worshipped idols at. Or you see some that actually went the whole hog and went, we are going to take down everything that defiles our following after God. They were kings who understood what it was to walk in the way of the law. And so when we have, when we have an idea of a king, these are the things that we get to the point, is that a king says, I want to do what I want to do. I have not met anyone of royalty at all. Um, I've seen a few princesses around... Um, probably even my house at times, but, um, but um, other than that, like, um, we, I've not met royalty, but like, the thing is, I can imagine if I walked into Buckingham Palace and I said something that the king or queen didn't like, it wouldn't go well for me. Even if I was following the law, I can see it not going well for me. Um, and like, I can see them sort of um, starting up convicts again just to send me back to Australia. Like, let's get rid of this guy, put him back in prison. Um, but the thing is, and maybe some of you see this in your house. Um, some of the kids don't answer this question. I don't want you to embarrass your parents. But sometimes as parents, we sort of act as with that authoritarian rule at home. We sort of say, this is, what, this is the house rule. This is what's happening. And, but then sometimes we'll go and break that same rule. Okay, guys, you can't have chocolate for breakfast, but I'm going to have chocolate for breakfast because I really need it. Oh, you can't do this, but I'm going to break that rule. Why? Because I'm the king. I am the queen. I'm the one that is in charge. I am the boss. 
And so, and you may actually have employers who do this, who go, this is our procedures and policies, this is how we do things, except when I'm doing it and I do it my way and I don't care about the rules. And so all of a sudden, we get into a situation where the king, the one who is the boss, can do what they want to do. They not only make the law, but they can break the law. And that becomes a problem because all of a sudden, we live in a way where Okay, let's be honest, some of us want to be the king in our lives and so we want to make the laws like, this is how things should go, this is how everyone should treat me, but I don't have to treat everyone the same way because I am the king. I can make and break the law as I seem. And the thing is, we, we get to the point, because, because we are large and in charge, we are the boss of our lives, I will manage the consequences. When I make a decision, I'll be able to handle whatever the repercussions are, I'll be able to fix that. But this is the thing you need to realise. When we don't listen to God's way, there will be pain. There will be pain. And like, there are some natural things. Like, for some of you, like, um, I, I remember years ago, I was playing basketball and I got hit when I was taking a shot and my body landed on my shin. And my body went in a direction that it shouldn't have gone in. And the natural consequence for that was pain. I landed on my shin, instead of my, my, my foot landing on my feet and, and, and standing up, landed on my shin and it basically folded my leg sort of too far. It shouldn't have gone the way it did. And so the natural response was tears in my eyes because it hurt. And, and, and like the next day, I couldn't even walk 10 metres down to the toilet. It swollen up so big. Because when we break, I suppose, what is intended, there will be pain. See, God's way and God's nation of Israel wasn't meant to be like other kingdoms. So when the people said, I want to be like the other nations, God was saying, no, but I don't, I don't want you to be like other nations. I have a better plan for you. I have a different way for you. And the people still actually flirted with the idea to, to the point that they weren't flirting anymore. They were just living in disobedience to God. God was actually saying to all of Israel and to all the kings that you need to be a king under authority. That, that doesn't make sense, does it? To be a king under authority, be a king under someone else's rule, to be a king that we're not in charge. Like, who's the boss? Like, I'm, I'm the boss. I'm the one who wants to be in control. I don't, I don't give up that control for anyone. And what we need to understand is that there is a relationship between rebellion and pain. There is a relationship between rebellion and pain. Now this is, this is true for us. Like we, we need to understand that this is a true concept. Like If we live in rebellion and eat chocolate and fast food every day, there will be long-term consequences that will bring pain. If we, for example, go, do you know what? I don't want my kids to face the consequences of what they're doing right now. So I'm going to leave that for later on. And so all of a sudden, the pain will come at times when all of a sudden you get a phone call from the teacher or from the principal or we, maybe we let the kids go on for a long time. We don't want to, sort of, we don't want to inflict any sort of pain on our kids so the, to, for the purpose of, of bringing them to, I suppose, guiding them out of rebellion. All of a sudden the pain comes when there's those flashing blue lights behind you in the car going, well, if you live in rebellion, there will be pain. Like, if you break the law, there will be consequence. And so basically, and today we're going to look at that idea through Zedekiah 
who was to be the last king of Judah. The last king of Judah. Now, I've even done this this morning already, but for some parents, anyone who do the, the three count for their kids? One, two, three. Well, the thing is, Zedekiah was the last king. And he'd got to the point they had ignored the warnings of God and God doesn't count to three. God doesn't count to three with it at the time. Sometimes he just gets to the point, he says, this is what's going to happen, it is too late. He is patient, but God warns us, but he doesn't get to that point where, because I do the, the one, two, okay, Caleb, I'm counting, I'm counting, one, two, okay, I'm almost at three. I, I kind of, that three doesn't come as quick as it, it probably needs to at times, because Okay, well, the outcome of that, or the outcome of the rebellion will be pain. Okay? And so sometimes I go, well, I don't want to inflict pain. I just want him to, to stop the rebellion. For some of us, we, we need to get the three, four, five before we even start to listen to God. So here's basically um, Zedekiah, the last king. And how did Zedekiah become king? Well, in about 597 BC, Nebuchadnezzar had already made Judah what they call a vassal state. And what that means is that basically um, Judah, so Israel doesn't exist at this point in time. They've already been conquered. They've already been spread out by the Assyrians. Babylon is now in power across the known world and, and they've already been conquered. And so basically um, Judah needs to pay taxes. They need to provide men for their army. And they basically need a promise that they won't fight. I will not fight you anymore. We've actually said, yes, you're the boss. So Jehoiakim, who was the king before Zedekiah, said, we don't want to do that. Um, so not only were they resistant to God's way, they were resistant to anyone. And Israel actually had a problem through that, throughout history. They did not submit well to others. Um, and so basically Jehoiakim sort of said, we don't want to do that. And so Nebuchadnezzar now sends his army and he knocks down part of the wall. Now, the wall that surrounded Jerusalem was what protected the city. It protected them from outdoor enemies, it allowed trade. All of a sudden, the wall had been opened, and so what does the army do? It is able to come in. And so this is what happens. They raided the temple, taking everything of value. Now, this temple was set aside with valuable objects. Some of them had already been taken by other kings previously, but they took everything of value. So the temple was no longer a place of sacredness. Um, they took all the people from the ruling class. So say you were a successful businessman, you earned $150,000, $200,000 a year, everyone in that bracket got taken away. Everyone. So that when you read the stories like Daniel and, and all his friends, they fell into that category. They were, they were sons of wealthy people. But then also, then they came down to the middle class and they went, we'll take half of them. We'll take them with us as well. And so that's where you probably find people like Ezekiel were actually part of that group. Um, then on top of that, the Judean army was taken away and they were to be incorporated into the Babylonian army. And then this is what happened. Jehoiakim, the king at that time, was taken away in chains. I was king and now I am a prisoner. Great imagery. And the Nebuchadnezzar, because Nebuchadnezzar was a collector of kings, he basically conquered them, captured them, and then every now and again he'd bring them out and put them on display for other people, saying, look at what I've done. Look at who people I've conquered. Um, so wives, if, you, or, uh, if you're complaining about what your husband's collect, be glad he doesn't collect kings. 
because um, a lot harder to do. You've got to conquer the world to do that. Um, and all of a sudden, in this, Zedekiah was put on the throne of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar. He was like, you will be king now. Plop, you're there. But you are king because I have made you king. And you need to follow these three rules. There are three rules that you need to follow. One, you need to pay taxes. You need to give me the money that you earn because that will keep us wealthy and will keep you poor. That you, you need to promise you won't build an army because if you build an army, that means you can try and take on us, which won't do well for you, but I don't want you to even try it. And you won't rebuild your walls because if your walls are open, that means you are vulnerable to whoever may come and you'll need to rely on us to protect you. And I want you to be vulnerable, I want you to be poor, and I want you to be submissive to us. Because Nebuchadnezzar was saying, I am the king. I am it. You will follow me. And so Nebuchadnezzar and his army goes home. And at this time, Zedekiah is visited by Jeremiah the prophet with this message. Zedekiah, he said, what is happening now is because you and this nation is being punished. The nation is being punished because of what all the previous kings have been doing. Um, no temple worship is happening, but you've been sacrificing and worshipping idols instead. So Jeremiah said, here is what you need to do. Here is some advice that will put you on the right track. Accept the fact that you are being disciplined. You are in time out by God. Accept that fact. If you accept that fact, this process will go quicker. And then secondly, Jeremiah basically said to, Jer um, to Zedekiah, you need to bring the people back to God. He said, don't try and overcome Nebuchadnezzar. Don't be the boss, large and in charge. Repent and lead the people to repentance. And God will restore the nation when God is ready. Now when you've just got your backside um, walloped by a foreign army, and Jeremiah, the prophet of God, says, hey, this is what you need to do. Here is a way out of this. It may take a long time to do it, but this is the way out of it. A wise man might listen. But this is the problem. When we think we are the boss, when we think we are the king, sometimes we only listen to that, the, the inner voice in our head that's not so wise. And Zedekiah did exactly that. He said, I'm the king, I'm the boss, and so this is what actually did happen. We go to Second Chronicles uh, 36.11. Okay, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. Now the fact that he was 21 years old probably was part of the problem. Um, some of us when we're 21, we don't make good choices. Some of us when we're 41 don't make good choices. And everyone after that, maybe some of us are at that point, we don't make good choices. But at 21 especially so. Um, and Zedekiah, maybe he surrounded himself with people that advised him really poorly, but he didn't listen to what Jeremiah wanted. Uh, there was an opportunity for a fresh start, but Zedekiah said, I want to be the boss. I am the boss. I can do what I want, and I'm not accountable to anyone. Has anyone ever sort of felt that kind of attitude raising up in their life? I, I, I'm, I want to do what I want, and I'm not accountable to anyone. Maybe that's just me. Um, at this point, Zedekiah made a really bad decision. A really bad decision. He actually went and did something that made things even worse. See, what we need to understand, like Zedekiah, when we are in a state of rebellion, when we're actually saying, I want to do what I want, we actually have the tendency 
to make decisions that can be categorised as bad, but they actually make the situation even worse. We can actually make things worse. In trying to make things better, we make things worse. We, we make really uh, bad decisions. Maybe we buy stuff we don't need that impacts us greatly. Go, I really want that. I remember years ago, I can't remember how much it was, but it was this great sort of surround sound stereo, and I wanted it now. But to do that, I had to get finance. And because, I, because the desire to want it now overrode any logical part of my brain, I went ahead with it. And I didn't realise until later on that the finance interest rates were exorbitant. And I went, I probably could have saved up for six months and actually paid cash for it, but in the end I had to pay it off over three years. It cost, it, there was a cost involved. It was a bad decision. And that was just something that I was able to manage, I suppose, in a way. But sometimes we put ourselves in a position where we'll buy something that we really don't need or God doesn't want for us, or we make a choice with our finances that puts us in great debt. We come to the point where we may damage relationships. We will do something that, that maybe we feel like doing that damages a, a, another relationship or we actually do something, we react in anger or something like that that affects a current relationship we have. Maybe we start jobs that God doesn't want us to do or we quit jobs God does want us to do. Or maybe we start bad habits that will take us forever to get rid of. Well, this is what Zedekiah did in 2 Chronicles 36, um, 13a. So he already said, said I'm not going to do what um, God wants me to do. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, even though he'd taken an oath of loyalty in God's name. Now, this was bad on, on so many different levels, and I'm trying to th think of a way of... It would be like a town in New Zealand, not even all of New Zealand. So um, think of a small town in, 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 in New Zealand, and all of a sudden going, hey guys, we're pretty tough here. Like, I reckon we'd be good fighters. We should invade Australia. We should actually take on all of Australia, and yeah, because we, we can beat them at cricket. Well, no, we can't even do that. Um, but like, um, we, we, we could beat them up in a fight. And so this small town in New Zealand travels over. They'll probably have to take a flight to Australia. And they, they hide their sort of cricket bats as weapons now. And they go, we're going to get off the airplane and we're going to conquer Australia. Now, you, you listen to that and go, well, that's, that's, that's not going to happen, is it? Like, like all of a sudden, just like um, the airport security will probably take them down and deport them back to New Zealand. That is what it's like. That's how silly it was for Israel to go, this small little city, to say, we've raised up a little bit of an army. We're going to sort of go, no, 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 we are going to actually respond in a way that is going to make him a little bit upset with us. So he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. He started to rebuild the wall. He started to build up his army. So Nebuchadnezzar, being an understanding king that he was, to let it go. No, he didn't do that. See, bad decisions lead to more bad decisions. And Nebuchadnezzar was so angry, he actually only sent part of his army to deal with Zedekiah. This is the thing. His army was so big because every time... Babylon conquered a nation, they would incorporate their army into their army. And so all of a sudden their army just multiplied. It wasn't just like adding a few more people on. And so it was massive. So he went, he just said, here's a chunk of my army, go down and deal with Zedekiah in Jerusalem. So Zedekiah realised at this point going, uh oh, this is not good. 
Okay, Jeremiah has some good advice in the past. I'll go ask him again and see if he can say anything that I want to hear. So he sought out Jeremiah for advice, but he didn't listen to it. He didn't listen to it. Why? Because I am the king. I am the boss. I'm in charge of my nation. I'm in charge of my life. This is what Jeremiah said. You need to open the gate. Now you open the gate, the enemy can come in. So it's not logical, but Jeremiah is saying this is your only chance for survival. You need to open the gate. You need to go out and meet the army and you need to humble yourself and repent. You need to go out as king before this army, hop down on your knees and say, I am sorry, I won't do this again. I won't do it again. I will, I will submit to you. But Zedekiah struggled with this idea. Why? Because he was the boss. He was the king. I'm not going to do that. He said, what else have you got, Jeremiah? What else have you got? And next in the story, what you see, though, is that God, he actually has a, is a little bit patient with, because the army leaves. And what we find out when you sort of read around the story was that Egypt had seen part of the army come down to Jerusalem. They've snuck behind them and started to attack Babylon through the back door. And so Nebuchadnezzar goes, okay, this is more important to deal with. Bring the army back, we'll sort of flatten the Egyptians, and then we'll deal with, with Jerusalem a little bit later. So, but Zedekiah didn't see it that way. He went, oh, well, even though he's not worshipping God, he says, oh, God has actually looked after us. He wipes his head in relief. But Jeremiah goes to Zedekiah, and this is another, he said, this is another chance you have. The army will be back, and it won't be good. Jeremiah actually goes on to warn the city, and he goes around, repent, um, so you can be saved. And because Jeremiah's warnings actually start putting, start getting, they start sort of getting into the hearts of people, Zedekiah goes, I don't want this guy doing anymore, and he throws him into a well. But Zedekiah, I mean, Jeremiah is so passionate about proclaiming God's message that he keeps actually yelling out of the well. So people actually walk past and go, talking well. Like, and it's telling us to, to repent so we can be saved. And so he's taken from the well and put in prison. Because Zedekiah goes, I don't want to be hearing this message. Why? Because I am the boss, I am in charge, I am the king. And then one day this happens. One day it gets really, really bad. So part of the army shows up, Zedekiah is worried. We now jump to 2 Kings 25, um, verses 1 and 2. And so on January 15th, during the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, so remember, he reigned for 11 years. So in the ninth year of his reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon led his entire army against Jerusalem. They surrounded the city and they built siege ramps around its walls and Jerusalem was under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah's reign. Like, I've been at, at birthday parties where I've been surrounded by kids and it feels overwhelming. Like, you sort of everywhere you've got, there's a little person there. And maybe you brought out lollies and the kids are... And that can be a bit scary. But I've never been in a position where your entire city, everywhere you look is an army just as big as your city in every single direction. And basically what they did, they built a wall around the wall. They were surrounded. Two years they were under siege. Each day everywhere you looked was an overwhelming enemy. Each day food became more and more scarce and then, until people are starving everywhere in the city. 
And so eventually Zedekiah overcame his pride again. And where did he go? He went to Jeremiah. He came to Jeremiah for advice. This is what Jeremiah actually said to him. He said, you will kill me when you hear what I have to say. Jeremiah didn't actually even say, he didn't begin with that. He didn't say, well, this is what I want to say. He said, I'm not going to tell you because you're going to kill me when you hear me. Like, um, like you don't want to hear that. And like sometimes we've had people come up and say, hey, I've got some really bad news. You're going to be really mad at me. It means that they've normally done something really bad or something really bad's happened. Jeremiah had a really bad news to give to Zedekiah. It wasn't going to be good. So Zedekiah had to promise, I won't kill you, I won't put you back in prison. Then Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 38, verses 17 and 18. And then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, This is what the Lord God of heaven armies, the God of Israel says, If you surrender to the Babylonian officers, you and your family will live and the city will not be burned down. Sounds like a good option considering what is on the table. But then Jeremiah further sort of goes, this is what I want to say, in verse 18 he says, but if you refuse to surrender, you will not escape. This city will be handed over to the Babylonians and they will burn it to the ground. There are two choices here. And, and for us, we're looking at, well, the obvious one is, is that one. But Zedekiah was actually worried because there was Jews that had already escaped who had gone over and were bad-mouthing him to the Babylonians. Maybe they'd got in favour with Nebuchadnezzar saying, Zedekiah, yep, I reckon you should just like, do something with him and as soon as he comes out. And so Zedekiah might have been a bit worried, but then Jeremiah actually said in verse 20 of, of, of Jeremiah 38, Jeremiah replied, you won't be handed over to them if you choose to obey the Lord. That word has significance. If you choose to obey God, if you choose to do what he says, you'll be okay. Your life will be spared and all will go well for you. Now again, that sounds really good. It sounds actually really promising. Considering everywhere you look are guys with swords and spears and bows and arrows ready to kill you. As I said before, when we make bad decisions, often what comes with it is more bad decisions. And here, I'm going to get a little bit insulting because this is us. This is us at times, where we get to the point where we, we are trying to get the life that we want and, and sort of manipulate it and, okay, I've made a mistake there, I'm going to try and change this, try and do this. And sometimes we need to get to the point saying, God, I have messed things up. Can you fix it? Now, the problem is, often we mess things up so badly it takes a while for God to fix it up. Have, have your kids ever came up to you and they've, they've been working on something? like maybe electronics, maybe something, and you go, hey, um, dad or mum, can you fix this? And you look at them going, oh, how am I? Like maybe it's a knot, you know, yo-yo string, and all of a sudden it's got 20 knots in it. And you go, I could have, I could have done it earlier. I'm not sure I can do it now. But it's going to take time to deal with that. And maybe that's why we kind of go, you know what? I'll give it one more shot, God, before I bring it to you. And we keep on actually making those bad decisions. I'm not saying that we have an invading army surrounding our houses, but often we can find ourselves in a position where our desire to be the boss, the desire to be large and in charge, our desire to do what we want, puts us at odds with God. It puts us in a sort of direct opposition for what God wants for us. We see ourselves in a position that no matter what I do now, I'm going to lose. And I think part of the struggle is that we see surrendering to God as losing 
because we fail to understand God's heart for us. See, we, we actually, some of us are so much caught up in this idea of being the boss or being the king, to, the fact of, to bow our need to God, to surrender to him, we see it as a loss. And we need to actually shift that and see it as a victory. We need to understand that Judah wasn't God's enemy. Do you understand that? Judah was not God's enemy. They were being punished. They were being disciplined, yes, but they were not an enemy of God. God was trying to bring his people back. And in the same way, when we find ourselves at a point where we find ourselves um, um, facing consequences of our bad decisions, it is God reaching out to us saying, come back to me. Come back to me. Don't wait till you get it all sorted before you come back to me. I don't know. I've been in that time in my life where I've gone, God, when my life is then I'll come back to you. And all of a sudden, what I do, I just dig the hole deeper and I, I mess it up more and I'm going, how do I get out of this? Um, okay, I've got one more thing. And I just add to it. I just add to it. The problem is we want to be boss and we won't give up control and we end up having... And this is where we get, we get really stuck. We have consequences that we can't manage and consequences that we are afraid of. We're actually we're not sure which way to go because over here I've got to face another bad decision or I go this way and I actually face the consequences of what I've done and I'm not sure how that's going to go. I'm not sure how that's going to turn out. Now, you can read the rest of the story of, of um, Zedekiah in 2 Kings, but basically, I'll give you just to give a summary of it. Basically, because Zedekiah was afraid to surrender and afraid to stay in the city, he makes yet another bad decision. There was a hole that had been made in the wall. And so he and the army fled at night. Now, again, it doesn't really speak well for a king when you actually take the only thing that is protecting the common people away just to protect yourself. But he was the king, he was the boss, it was all about him. So to run away from the city and the people wasn't a good thing. But he was seen, he was pursued, and he was captured. And then punishment was announced and was handed down. And because Zedekiah had failed to do what God had asked him to do, right in front of his eyes, probably to prevent any further kings coming from Judah, all his sons were killed. His family was killed in front of him. And that was the last thing he ever saw because then they took his eyes and they bound him in chains and they took him away to Babylon to add him to the king collection of Babylon. For the rest of his life, the images of his children dying were the last thing that were burned into his brain. Why? Because he failed to obey God. He may not have been king anymore. He may have had his kingship taken away, but he would have had his life and his family's life. And he made a decision that impacted not only himself, but them. Zedekiah had missed the point. He had missed the point of what God was trying to do, not only for him, but for the whole nation of Israel. They were being called to repent. Now, when you, are, when you repent, you actually have to own what you have done wrong. You actually identify, saying, my God, my pride, my, my theft... My, 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 my greed, my lust. I'm going to name it all. I'm going to put it before you, God. I'm going to repent and say sorry for all of that. He was calling the nation of Israel saying, stop worshipping pagan idols. Stop sort of following the ways of other nations and say sorry for it and turn away from it. 
Come back to God. Come back to God. Why? Because he loves you. And he loves this nation. And this is exactly what God is wanting for us. The same thing he was wanting for Zedekiah. He gave him every opportunity to come back to him, to let God be the king, to let God be the boss. But Zedekiah wanted it for himself. And the problem is, we can miss the point also. We may be facing consequences that are too much for us and that we are afraid of. And in that, God is saying, repent and come back to me. Why? Because I love you. See, again, this is where we, we miss the point because we're going, if I just get my life right again, I'll be able to sort of be in favour with God. God will actually look at me and go, yep, he's one of my favourites. Not like that guy over there. You can look around and sort of point wherever you want to there. But not like that guy. I'm one of God's favourites because I've got my life sorted. The problem is we don't get our lives sorted. We just get to the point where actually, oh, yep, that's falling apart. I'm all my, oh, no, I made another mistake. Oh, oh, yep, I messed up again. And years can go past as we try and get our lives good enough for God. The whole point of Jesus coming to this earth, being born in a manger and then dying on a cross, was because we cannot fix our mess. And when we try and sort of live that life, when we try to sort of get to the point where we go, I will fix it, God, and then I'll be in favour with you, we miss the point. God is saying, because I love you, I will pursue you with everything I have. And some of your kids may not realise, but sometimes we, well, most of the times, uh, we discipline our kids because we are wanting something, a change in them. We're wanting something more for them. And God is going to do the same for us. God is going to discipline us. Why? Because he loves us and he wants to bring us back to us. See, when he sort of said he, he did everything he had, this included his life of his son. His, he was willing to do that to bring us back to him. Do you think God is going to be willing to discipline us for the sake of that same relationship? Of course he is. He's going to do everything in his power to make sure that we are with him. And like Jeremiah was at a choir, God is talking to you, knocking on the door of your heart saying, let me in, let me be the boss. Now don't try and find a way out. Don't try and do something different. Don't be the king. Don't be the boss. But get to this point where you let God love you and you let God lead you. Don't be afraid to surrender to a loving God. Zedekiah was afraid to surrender to the will of God for his life. And it cost him dearly. Don't make that same decision. And again, we might not be making decisions like Zedekiah, but we make decisions that don't line up with God's will. You, you know it. You, I, I can be talking about this now, and I'm, I'm sure God's Spirit will speak to you saying, this is not right between you and me. Surrender that. Oh, but Keith, I don't, I don't want to sort of talk about that with God. I'm a bit ashamed by it. Okay, surrender it because God loves you. Okay? God is not waiting there with like, like a big cricket bat to smack you around the head saying you should have done better. God is waiting the two actually saying, I know you should be ashamed of that, but I love you anyway. I forgive you. Come back to me. Come back to the life I want for you. Don't resist that idea. Don't be afraid to surrender to a loving God. Lord, as we 
come to you today, like we, we look ahead to a new year. And I, I don't know about everyone else, but I suppose we all have different dreams and goals and plans for the year ahead. But Lord, I pray that we come to a point where we are willing to let you be the boss. You be the king. You will be the one that we let into our hearts and we will surrender to. We'll surrender over the things that we are caught up in sin. We'll surrender our dreams, our plans. We'll surrender our wants into your hands and let you guide us. I pray that we are patient with your plans, that we will rest in your strength and your grace and that we will not get ahead of you. I pray that we will not be afraid to surrender to the arms of a loving God. I pray this next year will be a year where you are the boss. You are the king. And those around us will know it as well. We pray this in your name. Amen.